You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. He's not telling us to go out and try to control the weather with prayer, but he's telling us if you pray fervently, earnestly, as a born-again person made right with God, great and mighty things happen. I am praying that the spirit of prayer falls on me like I've never known it. I'm praying that all of us experience an uptick in our prayer life. Because you know what? What God has for us, we're going to have to pray it in. When's the last time you felt divinely connected to Jesus? Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions? Today, Pastor Jeff's message illuminates how committing to prayer will improve your connection with Jesus like never before. Experience the remarkable path God has specially designed for you. Change the direction of your life by embracing God's purpose through the gentle touch of prayer. Allow a posture of prayer to descend upon you, opening doors to miraculous things. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Romans chapter 3 as he continues his message, Honest Prayer. Right with God. Everybody say right with God. Now, that's what he means by a righteous person, somebody who's right with God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, releasing great power, dynamic in its working. So first, we must be right with God. Now, the New Testament recognizes only one kind of righteous person. Only one kind. Those made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. The New Testament doesn't recognize anything else. It recognizes right with God It equates rightness with God or righteousness in God's presence with someone who has come to Jesus and his blood has washed us from our sin. Now, let me just take you to Christianity 101. It does not recognize the New Testament or the Bible period, a person made righteous by good deeds or pedigree or education or by being law-abiding and never getting a ticket The Bible never declares somebody righteous by their own good works. Never, never. It's never there. It's not there. You can't find it. It only recognizes the righteousness that comes upon a person when they place their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when they go to the cross and they repent of their sin and his blood covers their sin. Then God looks at you and me and says, righteous. We are made righteous by faith in him, not by works of our own. We are never made right. If we were left on this planet for a million years, we would never achieve the righteousness God requires. It must be imputed, that is, reckoned to us by God when we put our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way You're ever going to really be in the place where you can go before the throne room of God and say, here's my request. God looks and he says, well, they're not here standing here asking me for something based on them thinking they are righteous because of their own good works. They are coming to me washed in the blood of my only begotten son. Therefore, I hear them and therefore I answer them. Amen? Let me read you some powerful verses on this. we got to get this deep down in our innermost innermost. Listen to Romans 3. Now God has chosen or has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now listen to verse 22. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's so good, i got to read it one more time. We are made right with God. I want you to read it with me. Are you ready? Come on, everybody. I want to hear all of you, not some of you. I'm going to make you redo it if you don't all pitch in. Are you ready? I want us to get this. Read it. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. That's a very, very, very powerful truth. And he says this is true for everybody who believes, no matter who we are. Now listen to this verse out of Romans 1. This good news, meaning the gospel, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. How, everybody? By faith. Not by being good. Not by feeding the poor. Not by giving a bunch of money to charities. Not by being a good dad or a good mom or a good citizen or a good neighbor. None of that. None of that will ever make God look at you and say righteous. Only one thing does it. When we go to the cross and there is the shed blood and we say, Lord, I have so sinned against God. I'm asking you to forgive me of my terrible sins against God. I am a sinner, but you sent a savior. This sinner needs that savior. And I'm placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you've got a bank account. You've got a spiritual bank account. And before you do that, it is in bad debt. Oh, you are in millions and billions and trillions of dollars of debt to God. But when you say, Jesus, forgive me, he takes all that debt and puts it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, and he takes his righteousness and reckons it to your spiritual bank account, and in one minute, you become a billionaire, trillionaire spiritually because God looks at you and says, righteous, righteous, righteous. Come on, everybody. It's good news. Come on. It's good news. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. Listen to Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Is that what it says? You can't take credit for this. Your salvation. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can brag or boast or strut about it because we have received our salvation by faith. It is a gift and nothing more. We didn't earn it. We can't buy it. We, can't, we don't deserve it. Listen to 2 Corinthians. And I, this is my last one. Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Oh, my. Jesus never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Have you ever thought about why he sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? Have you ever wondered why he so dreaded the cross? Not just the physical pain of it, but he knew that on that cross, the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, were going to be placed on him. And Isaiah said, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us, laid it on him. That's when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because right then, God emptied our bank account 
that was in deep sin debt to God and placed it on him and took his perfect sinless life and placed it on us. But none of that is of any worth to us unless we individually place our faith in him as individuals alone. Jeff had to do it. Frank had to do it. Judy had to do it. Susie had to do it. You can't get there by grandma's faith. You can't get there by daddy's faith. You got to go to the cross yourself. But look, Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Then we are made right then, right with God because of what Christ has done for us. And if God left us on this earth, as I've already said, for a million years, we would never have been able to hear God say, righteous, because of our sin. We had to lean on somebody else. Somebody said, Jesus, just to crush you. You better believe he's my crutch. I leaned on him. I allowed him to die in my stead. I turned to him to be my savior. He took my sin. I'm the first to admit he's my crutch. Man, I'll take two of them. He's my crutch. What's yours? This is the kind of righteous person, James says, the fervent prayer of a righteous person, somebody made right with God by faith. Now, here's where prayer comes in. The moment we're saved, watch this, everybody. This is beautiful. The moment we're saved, a brand new communication line is opened up to us to the very throne room of God. Before we were saved, everything was horizontal, this way. We lived life this way. We were affected only by what happened horizontally. But when we got saved, suddenly there is a communication line opened up vertically. We are welcomed and invited to come into the very throne. Listen to what the Bible says. And so, dear brothers, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. I'm going to stop a minute. Do you know what that meant to those first century listeners? When the writer of Hebrews writes to them and says, now, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. To them, all they'd ever known was the holy of holies in the temple and the high priest going into the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God was manifested and only the high priest went in there once a year to atone for the sins of mankind and, and they tied a little rope around his ankle lest he grieve God or do something wrong while he was in there and dropped dead and they could pull him out so they didn't have to go in. And he would go in there and do his thing and come out, and he went to God for them. The closest they got to God was the high priest going into God's presence for them. But once Jesus died and rose from the dead and we place our faith in him, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. Amen. Come on, everybody. Give God praise. Come on. When they first read this, this was astonishing. So you got to be kidding me. It was astonishing because now they didn't need that high priest anymore because they had a greater priest, a greater high priest. His name is Jesus. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 20. This is the fresh, new, life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us to let us into the holy presence of God. This is talking about prayer. See, the minute we go into the place of prayer or in, even in the place of worship where the presence of God fills the room 
or we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts. That only was available in the Holy of Holies that nobody could go into, but now he has made a new and a living way. It's new because it didn't exist in the Old Testament. It only existed after the death and resurrection of Christ, and it's living. It's not a way to death. It's a way to life. It's a new way, and it's a living way that Christ has opened for us to let us into the holy presence of God. And then he says in verse 21, since this great high priest of ours, Jesus, rules over God's household, let us, read verse 22 with me, let us go right into God himself with true hearts, fully trusting him to receive us. Why? Because we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. The blood of Jesus made a new and a living way, a new and a living way, a new and a living way. That's why you don't need to go to a priest on earth to confess your sins. We've got a great high priest. He's waiting for us to go to him with all of our faults, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins and mistakes and say, oh Lord, please forgive me. And our great high priest says forgiven. He says, now, here's what he says to us. Now that you have been saved and born again, he told his disciples in John 16 what he's telling us today. Now that you have been saved and born again, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, everybody say ask. And you will receive and your joy will be full. The new and the living way is when we go to God in the name of Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we are able to go right into the Holy of Holies throne room of God and have a hearing with God and have God say, all the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first condition for answer prayer is being right with God through the shed blood of Jesus. Then you can pray. Amen? Isn't that good news? Now the second condition is sincerity. Sincerity. He says the effectual fervent prayer. Fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Fervent means you're sincere about it. Fervent. It means it's a heart thing with you. You strongly desire to see the prayer answered. It's a heart-driven, passion-driven prayer. You mean it. You're coming from the heart, not just your head, but you're praying from your heart. Oh, God, do this. Oh, God, move on this. Lord, please answer this. Touch my child. Touch my dad. Touch my mom. Touch that neighbor. Do something, God. You want it with every atom of your being. The entire person is involved in crying out to God for an answer. Fervent, the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person. You know what this kicks right out the back door? Religious prayer. Religious prayer. Oh, God, we thank thee that thou art a good God. We pray that thou wouldest, shouldest, couldest do this and thatest. And, and it's all coming from here. You've heard them. It's all coming from here. Now, I want to give some balance to the fervent thing before I go on. Fervent doesn't mean out of control emotion. I'm not up here teaching you or preaching to you that you need to be out of control emotionally. It doesn't mean screaming or wild gesticulations or gestures or acting crazy. 
Doesn't mean any of that. And it does not require eloquent words prayed in King James English. None of those things move God. Volume does not move God. Screaming doesn't move God. Jumping around doesn't move God. You know what moves God? Faith and passion. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe, number one, that he's there, that he is. And two, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And those are the grounds for prayer, for all prayer. When I go to him in prayer, I must believe that he's there. And I must believe he rewards those who diligently seek him. And if I believe he's there and I believe he's a rewarder, then I am going to pray my heart out. God is moved by sincere, heartfelt, fervent prayer mixed with faith. That's what moves God. It can be a whisper and it will move God. If it's mixed with faith and true, heartfelt passion, fervency, desire, you're in it. You really want this. This is something that God has laid on you. You are going to pray until something takes place. The psalmist said, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. Does that sound like religious prayer? Not at all. Pour out your heart, for God is our refuge. Pour out your heart. What's on your heart? My best prayer times are when I sit and listen to what's on my heart. And then I begin to pray according to what God has put on my heart. And I pray my heart out before God. I pour my heart out before God. I'm not playing games. I'm not playing church. I'm not praying because I think I should. I am moved. Jesus said that the prayer that God answers is not some memorized, rehearsed prayer, religious prayer that we recite by rote with no real passion of heart or desire behind it. It Happens all the time in religious places. He told us to avoid that kind of empty praying. He called it vain repetitions. Listen to what he said. And when you pray, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, I want you to hear it out of another version. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. God's going to answer me if I just recite this prayer. Vain repetitions are when you pray the same thing over and over again, but there's no heart to it. There's nothing. You're not really involved in your heart. There's no feeling. There's no honesty. It's empty. It's mechanical. Rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. You're thinking about a million other things. Your heart's not in that prayer at all. Oh, Lord, bless me and mine and theirs and ours. Bless my day as I go out. And we're not even thinking about anything. We're not really praying it. We're just saying it. Praying it is not just saying it. Praying it is feeling it. It is mixing it with faith. It is coming to a prayer answering God in sincerity that I believe this is not going to be a waste of my time, but God's going to hear my prayer. One commentator said, these vain repetitions is to blubber nonsensical repetitions. Blubber, 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 blubber. I'm just talking. 
For instance, let me give you an example. The Lord's Prayer is a wonderful, powerful prayer. It's in six parts. And those six parts cover all of the real needs and issues of life. But there are people who just pray it by memory, thinking something's going to be accomplished by just reciting it. But no, when we go to God, if we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, oh God, come kingdom of God. Be done will of God. Oh, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I need help. I need money. I need a job. I need provision. Lord, I'm coming to you as to a living God that answers prayer. But when there's no emotional connection, our prayers are lifeless and they're dull. God hears prayers on fire with desire. Amen? Isn't it the boiling water that cooks the egg? Does dry, wet wood do you any good? No, it's the wood that's on fire that brings heat into the house. God, give me a church on fire, boiling with the fervency to see God move. I'll show you some passion in prayer. Listen to David. Listen to the emotion. Listen to the passion. As the deer pants streams of water. So I long for you. I thirst for the living God. I pant. I long. I thirst. Do you hear deep emotion in that? Do you hear some passion in that? Do you hear some fervency in that? I pant for a breakthrough. I long for the answer. I thirst to see God's glory break loose on Now I want to close with this. He uses Elijah as an example. Elijah was as human as we are, he says. In the very next verse, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed, how, everybody? Earnestly, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Here's his message to us. Notice, he talks about the miracle he received second. First, he wants us to understand Elijah was no different from you and me. He got hungry, he got thirsty. He battled doubts and he battled fears. At one low point in his ministry, he was so depressed, he asked God to take his life. He was no different from you and me. He was not some super saint. He was a human being just like you and me. He ran in fear from wicked Queen Jezebel and wanted to give up his prophetic calling. He had frailties, weaknesses, failures, and regrets. And yet one man, in spite of all of his human frailties, got down in God's presence and he fervently, earnestly prayed. And it says that God literally altered the weather for three and a half years in order to deliver his people from the clutch of idolatry and Baalism, that horrible, vile practice of Baalism. He delivered virtually by one man, single-handedly, an entire nation brought it to its knees because one man prayed earnestly. And he prayed again earnestly after three and a half years of drought. And the skies filled with clouds and the rain fell in sheets. He's not telling us to go out and try to control the weather with prayer. But he's telling us, if you pray fervently, earnestly, As a born-again person, made right with God, great and mighty things happen. I am praying that the spirit of prayer falls on me like I've never known it. I'm praying that all of us experience an uptick in our prayer life. 
Because you know what? What God has for us, we're going to have to pray it in. But once we pray it in and those skies fill with the clouds of revival, the rain of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're going to forget all of the struggle in prayer and we're going to rejoice that a new thing has been born. Amen. As you navigate life, do your actions mirror God's teachings? Do you actively cultivate a life that resonates with His grace? It's through this alignment with God that you remain open to the abundance of His blessings, a testament to your commitment to honor and follow His path. In Pastor Jeff's message, he reminded you that blessings flow from walking steadfastly in the ways of God. Prayer is your connection. Align your heart and mind with God's virtues. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. The more earnestly you intercede in prayer, the more God's transformative power is revealed. Next time on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff shares that unwavering fervor in praying for others lets you become an instrument of God's grace. Let selflessness take center stage as you intercede on behalf of others around you. And as you put others first, your prayers become bridges connecting the needs of others with God's divine intervention. Let God's power flow through you. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Romans, so be sure to join us again. And if you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.